Well, good morning. My name is Pastor Rose. I serve as one of the associate pastors here at Sanctuary. It's good to be together today. You know, last time I preached, it was like a blizzard. (laughs) And now I think spring might be coming. I have hope. Do you? Amen. Oh, yesterday my girls were outside playing in true Minnesota fashion. They had a tank top on, uh, pants, and their winter boots. Because it was warm, but there's still, there's, there's mud, there's puddles, there's snow. And then, of course, my youngest comes running in the house and says, Daddy, can you get the kiddie pool from the garage? <laughs> no. Like, it's warm. I get it, but it's not that warm. Oh, my. But I'm so glad spring is coming. Oh, Amen. Well, last Sunday, Pastor Edrin uh, kicked off a new sermon series for us. It's called Journey to the Cross. And aren't our graphics amazing? All thanks to Jeremy. And this series, Journey to the Cross, is an opportunity for all of us to walk alongside Jesus as we prepare for Easter. To walk alongside Jesus and consider his mission here on earth as well as we reflect as a church how we mirror Jesus in our own lives. It's a chance for us to reset ourselves back on the path with Jesus as we journey with him to the cross. Now Lent, if this is a season that maybe you didn't grow up uh, celebrating in the church, Lent is a a season that we prepare ourselves before Easter. It's the season of intentional reflection It's a time of purposeful action for us as Christians, and it's a time of sincere repentance. So our passages this morning, as we journey to the cross with Jesus, center on this topic of repentance. And church, this is not a light or an easy topic to, to talk about and to consider, reflect on, but it is a vital vital one as we journey with Jesus to the cross in preparation for Easter. So church, I pray that we have humble hearts, and we're going to pray in just a moment, that we would have humble and soft, receptive hearts to hear what God is saying this morning. Amen? Amen. This week also is a big week for many of us, especially our pastors, Uh, This week, Pastor Edron will be on vacation, a much-needed vacation with his family. Amen? Amen. We are so glad he can get away. We're going to pray that he can reconnect with his family, that this would be a wonderful time with his family. I have the opportunity also to go out to Washington, D.C. this week. Uh, Our former pastor, Pastor uh, Dennis Edwards, has invited me to co-teach with him at a conference, which I'm so excited about, and it is humbling that he has invited me to do so. So please, would you pray for me, church, in that? I'd appreciate that. And then Pastor Mike, our amazing pastor, associate pastor of care and outreach, he and his family are preparing for his daughter, Kaya, to have surgery. On Tuesday, she'll have surgery, uh, a spinal fusion surgery. And so we are praying with them, holding them as Kea goes into that surgery. And I am just amazed at the faith that Kea has, that she is confident and ready. So church, may her example be a witness to us, that we would put our faith in the healer who heals all. Amen. 
So church, would you join me as we pray this morning? <clears throat> Lord God, Lord, I thank you so much for this church community, the Sanctuary Covenant Church. Lord, I thank you that you have gathered us from all around this city, from all different walks of life to come and gather here for the one purpose, to praise and worship you. God, we are so grateful that we can be a community that gathers to praise your name and to lift you up, Lord, because you are good, you're faithful and gracious, and Lord, we don't want to forget that. God, we ask that you would be with especially our pastoral team this week. Lord, we pray for Pastor Edron as he and his family um, go on vacation. Lord, give him rest. Give them time of connection, of memories uh, together, Lord, and let them taste your goodness as they're on vacation. Lord, we lift up Pastor Mike and his family. Lord, we pray for Kea. God, thank you that she is a witness, an example to us of how good and gracious you are, of the confidence that we can have and put in our, our God, you, a healer. And Lord, we ask that that would be an example to us. Lord, that we would follow her witness as she walks into that surgery, Lord, with such confidence and grace. But God, we know that the Holtz family is holding so much as they um, prepare for Tuesday. So God, we ask that your hand would be upon every single doctor, every nurse, every medical staff, every person who is caring for her, Lord. May your spirit be with them. Guide every process of the surgery, Lord. And we pray that, that the outcome of this would be a testimony of you and your goodness, Lord, of Kaya's faith, Lord. And just the amazing God that we serve, Lord. So God, we ask for your presence there. God, we ask that this morning as we are in this season of journeying with you to the cross, Lord, that we would have humble, humble hearts this morning. That we would posture ourselves in such a way that we would hear your words for us. Hear your words of repentance this morning. God, we ask that you would meet us exactly where we need you to be with us. God, we are so grateful that you are a gracious and forgiving God. So Lord, reorient our hearts to you, Lord, this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Well, my husband and I have two children. We have um, an older daughter who is six years old and a younger daughter who is three. She just turned three. And now, our three-year-old is very lively. She is very uh, loving to everyone she meets. And she, you can almost always guarantee she is constantly moving. Like, she's one of those kids who never sits still, unless she's on your lap and she's all cuddled up with one of us. She is wonderful. And if you know her and if you've seen her, Isla is, this is true about Isla, that she is as bouncy and lively and bright as her curly red hair. I mean, that girl has so much life to her. And she's just like any other three-year-old. She's emotional, right? Any other three-year-old, any other parents have three-year-olds right now or have gone through that stage? You know, you know, the threes. Ooh, people say twos are hard. It is not true. Threes are so hard. And she has those normal big waves of feelings, those big waves that all toddlers, all humans, have. But she hasn't developed those, you know, the skills to rationalize and understand those feelings yet. 
So sometimes when she gets angry, she just starts screaming. And she starts screaming at people she loves the most. And almost instantly, you can see that she knows that those words have been hurtful. And she didn't mean to say it. And it's almost a guarantee with my daughter that a few minutes later, once the, the, the rush of that, those emotions have passed, she'll take a deep breath. Her smile re- will reemerge on her face, and she'll come up to me, and she'll pull my arm down so I'm at her level, and she'll put her soft hands on my cheeks. She'll put her forehead touching mine, and in the sweetest voice she'll say, Mommy, I'm so sorry I yell at you. You're my best mommy, and I love you. And I mean, it's so cute, right? I mean, who can, be, who can say mad after that, right? Now, when we think of repentance, we often liken it to how children seek forgiveness from their parents. We feel bad for, and guilty for bad behavior, and we ask for forgiveness from God. And repentance is that, but also, it's also much bigger than that. Repentance isn't just about our personal morality. Repentance is bigger than that. It's deeper than that. It's much more holistic than that. So this morning, we're going to look at two passages today, one from the Old Testament and one from the New Testament. And in our passages, we will see that repentance is more than just asking forgiveness from God. That's part of it. But instead, we'll see that repentance is first a resistance. That repentance um, is a reorientation. And that finally, repentance, true repentance, leads to redemption. So church, let's open up our Bibles this morning. We're going to read from Isaiah chapter 55, and we'll read verses 1 through 9. And God's word says this to us today. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good and you will delight in the richest of fare. Give ear and come to me. Listen that you may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you, my faithful love promised to David. See, I have made him a witness to the peoples, a ruler and commander of the peoples. Surely you will summon nations you know not, and nations you do not know will come running to you because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, for he has endowed you with splendor. Seek the Lord while he may be found." Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord, and he will have mercy on them. And to our God, for he will freely pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours. In my thoughts than your thoughts. At the time when this uh, prophetic poem was written, the Jewish people were in a very low place. During this time, the Jewish people were in exile under, under the oppressive power of the Babylonians, and life felt totally helpless. 
And as often as happens when people are taken from their native land and they're forced into submission under a controlling ruler, they were expected by the powers to assimilate, to do as the Babylonians do. And it's in verse 2 that we see Isaiah urging the people to remember. Remember they are God's people and to act differently than the Babylonians. Isaiah is asking the people, why do you spend your money on what is not bread? Why do you work so hard for something that doesn't satisfy? Why do you put your energy into doing what the Babylonians are doing? Why are you chasing after greed and consumption, accumulating things that will never make you happy, that will never satisfy? Stop! This won't satisfy, he says. Stop acting like the Babylonians. Now, the Jewish people have been exiled. They have uh, been in exile and are starting to become like their oppressor, tempted by greed, seeking to accumulate for themselves, putting their trust in, in themselves instead of their trust in God. And our passage this morning, church, is very clear. Isaiah is saying, stop doing as your oppressors are doing. Stop following the way of the dominant culture and, the, and instead... Be the alternative community, the people of God that you have been called to be. And here is where Isaiah offers the alternative to the people. In verse 1, it says, Anyone who thirsts, come to the water. You who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money, without price. Isaiah is saying, turn away. Repent of doing things the way of the Babylonians and instead return and be the people of God once again. And in Isaiah, verse 1 is saying, if you want to repent, if you want to, to turn and be God's alternative people again, then resist. Resist. So our first point this morning is that repentance is resistance. From our passage in Isaiah, true repentance is not assimilating to the dominant culture around us. Instead, true repentance is resisting the ways of the dominant, oppressive, unjust culture around us. If the world values greed and love of money, resist. If the world values getting and consuming things that will never, ever satisfy, resist. If the world values personal success instead of or over community empowerment, then resist. If the world values working so hard until you literally have no other life than the work that you do, resist. So the prophet's words to us this morning is resist. Be a Jew, not a Babylonian. Be a Christ follower not of the world. So for us today, don't be tempted into believing that other things will satisfy us. Let's not be tempted into believing that we can be a full and satisfied person around the world's values. No, resist. Resist. Now the month of March is Women's History Month. Amen? Amen. We honor the lives of women 
of the work and sacrifice of women. And we continue to name the oppression of women that, that we still endure in a patriarchal society. And church, if we need any examples of women who resist the status quo, women who stay committed to their faith, then we have some of the most robust examples here at the sanctuary. Amen? Amen. Fellas, you better be giving them some uh, praise this morning. Come on. You women are incredible examples of faithfulness, of godliness, of strength. Thank you for your witness. I see so many of you lead our church and in your community, community in the ways of justice for our city. I see and think of so many of you and how you have empowered me, encouraged me to use my voice. Thank you. I see the hard work that you are doing to be, to be compassionate, to be merciful examples of Jesus every single day of your lives. And women, I also see us tired. Tired of all that we hold and do. Because the reality is the work is hard. It is grueling. And many of you, I see you working in the social sector. And you have dedicated your lives to helping people heal and to thrive. Many of you work in big corporations and you are using your professional and your educational skills to equalize the American workforce and to show us that women belong in the boardroom as well as in the corner office. Amen? Amen. And many of you are the chief family executive officers. You manage, maintain, and fulfill so many of the needs of your family. The mental and emotional work and labor of doing so is significant. It's also exhausting at times. But as I just shared, you all are some of the most wise and committed followers of Jesus Christ I have seen. So truly, women, Truly be examples of God's daughters and resist the busyness. Resist the pressure to have it all and to do it all and to know that your worth isn't in performing for other people, but in walking with the Lord. Amen. In being God's people, all of us, it means that we are to act differently in the world. That we are to act different from those around us because we confess Jesus as our Lord and Savior. So church, how are we different because we know Jesus? What do we need to do to resist? What is God asking us to resist to be more authentic followers of Jesus? That's a helpful consideration for us this morning. Because Isaiah, in our passage this morning, is calling the people back, asking them to recall their identity as God's people, to repent and resist the urge to be like the Babylonians. This morning, God is asking us, sanctuary, to repent and to resist the urge to be like the rest of the world. But in order to resist that sanctuary, we also need to reorient ourselves completely to God. So our second point this morning is that repentance is a reorientation. 
There is a well-known quote by Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. that I'm sure many of us will know, probably even a quote we have shared on our social media for MLK Day. And it says this, Darkness cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. Amen? Amen. That is a truthful statement. Yet the context might surprise some of us of what he said before that. Before that well-known quote, Dr. King begins by saying, the ultimate weakness of violence is that it is a descending spiral, begetting the very thing it seeks to destroy. Instead of diminishing evil, it multiplies it. Returning violence for violence multiplies violence adding deeper darkness to a night already devoid of stars. Darkness cannot drive out hate. Only love can do that. Now, I would assume that we agree with that. Amen? We agree with that. It's easy to affirm a quote like this. We can reason in our minds that, yes, of course, violence perpetuates violence, and that God is all about grace and restoration. Yet when this quote puts on flesh, when this quote puts on flesh and becomes something other than this abstract support of superficial peace, I believe there's often an obstruction of our application, church. Put another way, I think it's easy to affirm a quote about grace and love. It is harder, though, to actually extend that grace when we'd rather not. Now, in the United States, while the public support of the death penalty has been at a four-decade low in 2016, there was a slight increase as of 2018. And it's worth noting that this uh, Pew Research Center study, uh, that it said that 73 that 73% of white evangelical Christians support the death penalty. And while we all have very varying views of what capital punishment means and how it should be enacted in the world, it is important for us, church, to understand how our views of retribution have spilled into our faith of restoration and have completely muddled it up. It has become something it was not intended to be. There is a heretical irony to our faith when we profess a faith of grace and reconciliation, yet perpetuate retributive systems in the world. It's a cognitive dissonance that should make our heads spin this morning, church. It should make our hearts ache, and it should produce action for change in the world. We need to think critically and faithfully about how we espouse a faith of grace, yet we perpetuate systems of retribution in the world. And to that, Isaiah is saying to us this morning, repent. Turn back to God, but turn to this alternative life that is grounded in mercy, that is grounded in compassion, that is grounded in grace. Is grace in part in something that we really truly want for everyone? Or do we think it's only for a select few? Church, our faith will not make sense to the world. 
The way of Jesus is not the way of the world. Following Jesus means that we completely reorient ourselves to the way of grace and of restoration. And that is why in Isaiah it says in verse 7, Let them turn to the Lord, and he will have mercy on them. And to our God, for he will freely pardon. He will freely pardon, for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways. And that should be one of the most convicting things we hear this morning. Our ways are not the ways of God so often. That should humble us this morning. Repentance is turning to God, reorienting everything to God's ways that will make no sense to the world around us. Repentance is a full reorientation. So in Isaiah 55, not only is Isaiah asking the people and their repentance to resist the Lord to be like the Babylonians, he's also asking them to completely reorient themselves back to God. And that's what repentance is. It's not just saying we're sorry, that's part of it, but completely changing and reorienting ourselves back to God. So through the prophet Isaiah, God is trying to tell the people that God has an, has an entirely different way of being for them. This reorientation for, is for restoration of what's been broken, which is our final point this morning, that repentance, true repentance, leads to fixing what's broken, to finding what's lost, to finding life where there was once death. Repentance leads to redemption. So our second passage this morning is found in Luke. In Luke chapter 13, verses 1 through 9, and our gospel reading says this this morning. Now there were some present at the time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Jesus answered, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? I tell you no, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. Or those 18 who died when the tower in Siloam fell on them, do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you no, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. Then he told this parable. A man had a fig tree growing in his vineyard, and he went to look for fruit on it but did not find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, For three years now I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year, and I'll dig around it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. The people who were talking with Jesus at the beginning of this passage were seeking answers to some of life's most pressing questions. Why is there suffering? Where is God in the midst of suffering? Does God will us to suffer? Why do bad things happen to good people? Now, while we all wish that Jesus would have answered directly these foundational questions of humanity... Instead, Jesus strangely and basically says, it could have been you. Repent or you'll perish too. 
Now, church, for me at least, when I read this, it feels a little unsettling for Jesus to say this. But what he's trying to say is found in the parable of the fig tree. In this parable, Jesus doesn't speculate or settle on questions of death or questions of the past, like the crowd around them. Instead, he is looking toward life, toward the future, true, fulfilling, redemptive life that comes through repentance. And he likens it to a fig tree without any fruit. And here I want us, sanctuary this morning, to focus on verse 9 and six simple words. If it bears fruit next year. If it bears fruit next year. Now, often when we think of repentance, we think of it as making up for bad stuff that we did in the past. But instead of a past perspective, repentance is a future orientation of redemption. Instead of a past perspective, repentance is a future reorientation of redemption. It's reorienting ourselves to Jesus and seeing a future of restoration ahead instead of the guilt and the death and the, of the sin of the past. So when Jesus says in verses five, 3 and 5, repent or perish, Jesus is saying repentance is more than just asking for forgiveness for bad behavior. It means that re, we reorient ourselves to the future to restoration. It means that we change one's mind to change your purpose, to completely change the course that you are on to a new journey with Jesus. Now the word repentance in Greek is metanoia, and it, and it, it implies that our whole perception changes to a new perspective in Jesus. Now certainly as the, true, as the tree is producing fruit, yes, our behavior will change as a result, Fruit will come, but repentance is the course corrector that points us towards redemption. The tree is redeemed. It is what allows us to see God in a new way and accept God's grace in the first place. Amen? Amen. We couldn't see God's goodness without repentance. Repentance is the tree that had no fruit, that had no hope, and now it produces fruit. Repentance is, is, is the acknowledgement that we are desolate without God, and now we can grow with hope and restoration. Repentance leads us to restoration. And I think what's most powerful about this parable, church, is that the fig tree wasn't expected to work itself out of barrenness. It had the gardener there to help it. Our repentance isn't about working harder to get God, God to love us more because we cannot, church, we cannot do anything to make God love us less or make God love us more. That is truth. We cannot make God, we can't do anything to make God love us more or less. That love is always there. Instead, repentance is about finding life in death. It's about God's grace and not our own righteousness. It's about our, a hope that's contrasted with our human barrenness and that we can only be restored through God and that restoration comes through our repentance. 
So Sanctuary, this morning, I want to do something a little different. First, I want to invite the worship team to come up this morning. And in this season, as we are journeying to the cross with Jesus, it begins with our repentance. And it's not just making a checklist of all the bad things that we've done, though there is room for us to assess sin, absolutely. But let's also assess the ways that we need to resist Resist the temptation to be like the rest of the world. Resist the dominant culture and the pressure to measure success by the stuff we have and the things we do because those will never satisfy us, church. And how, in this season of Lent, how can we reorient ourselves back to God? Reorient ourselves to God's grace. Do we just talk about grace Or do we live in such a way that we extend grace through our witness? And finally, are there areas in your life that aren't producing fruit? Are there areas where where we need to cut it off so redemption can come? So church, we're going to practice an act of resistance this morning in a culture that is so frenetic and busy. It is an act of resistance to be still, to be quiet, to reflect with God. Lent is a time of repentance, of resisting the urge to assimilate to the world. And it's a time that we can renew our witness to God. It's a time that we reorient our hearts back to God and that we find the true restoration in Jesus. So today, church, we're going to take some time, take some space to reflect, to listen. And this may be hard for some of us, to sit still, to listen, to be quiet. So we'll have some soft underscore playing. And church, I want you to consider how is God inviting you to refocus? How is God inviting you to refocus in the season of Lent as we journey to the cross? How have other things held your focus? And how do you need to reorient? What do you need to resist? After a few moments of silence, we'll um, sing together. And our prayer team will be up front. They'll be here to pray with you if you need to pray. And church... Let's take this time to renew our hearts to Jesus. Amen.